0: Hey, Cracked fans, if you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So... How can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, LuckyRacket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code, Cracked15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts. 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's LuckyRacket.com. The promo code is Cracked15. podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 7th. I do apologize for the lack of episodes on this feed over the past few weeks. That's because I was trying to get our off-season podcast schedule in order here at Cracked Rackets. I have finally done so, and with that in mind, we're ready to roll out our off-season coverage of all aspects of the tennis world, of course. If you listen to the Great Shot podcast feed, if you listen to the Cracked interview. Podcast feed, you know, we've already dove headfirst into all aspects of the college tennis world. We've begun our college contender series, breaking down our preseason top 10 men's and women's division one teams entering 2022. If you missed any of that content, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, Chris Hallioris, Matt Stokoyak, John Parsons, and I break down all of the teams on the Great Shot podcast feed. I have spoken with each of the head coaches thus far on our cracked interviews podcast feed as well. Again, links to all of that content available on our website, CrackRackets.com. We've named our number 10, 9, and 8 teams. Number 7 coming up this week as well. We're also getting ready to roll out our Cracked Interview series where we talk to every Power 5 men's and women's tennis head coach across College Tennis Nation. Now, have I completed every interview yet? No, I have not. But we have made enough progress. We've got enough content in the queue. We're ready to start rolling out those conversations. You'll hear me talk to these coaches about their teams, but then, of course, about some of the big picture items in college tennis. What is the role of the fall? When should the NCAA individuals be held? Are the rules in place, the rules best positioned to help college tennis succeed in the future? All fascinating discussions I am very excited to share with all of you listeners. But, of course, here on this podcast, what you can expect is to hear from our cast of Cracked Rackets contributors, some of them in-house, like Damian Coos, David Gertler, over at Matt Stokowiak, Chris Hall. Leoris, John Parsons over the next few weeks, but also... Some of our favorite guests, including, you know, David Kane, Nina Pantic. I'm sure we'll get Jeff Sackman back on the show as well as we try to break down not only the biggest takeaways from 2021, but of course discuss the biggest questions entering 2022 as well. And we'll try to cover a different topic on every show. It'll be, you know, best Americans, best uh, men and women, and, you know, next gen tiers for the men and women. Who are the specific players we're watching most closely, whether it be to see them take a big jump forward in 2022, perhaps a jump backwards in 2022 as well. We'll try to cover just about every aspect. Of course, we'll continue covering the WTA's uh, relationship with China throughout this Peng Shui scandal as well, and we'll talk about the financial impact of, uh, you know, severing of relationships between China and women's tennis, a severing of a relationship if it emerges between the ITF or ATP, or perhaps we'll discuss why they haven't severed those relationships yet over this offseason. We'll focus on the economics of tennis, do you know, all the things we now have to time to do without the constant barrage of ATP, WTA, Challenger, ITF events, although plenty of Challenger and ITF events keep rolling on here in the offseason. You can find tennis if you are looking for it. Nevertheless, we're going to take the relative lull in the schedule to do some reflection and that brings me to today's podcast, and I know that was a long-winded intro. I do apologize for that. I just wanted to set the scene for all of you listeners. It's been a little bit of a while since we've chat. You know, since the last time we spoke, Michigan won a Big Ten championship in football. You know I'm feeling good here at Cracked Rackets HQ, but of course on today's show— I received a gift of all Hanukkah gifts from Crack Racket CEO Dalton Thieneman. He texted me last week and he said, Alex, I think I found the perfect gift for you. I say, Dalton, what is that? And he goes, Alex, I think we're going to get Stefan Kozlov on the show. And obviously, if you are a listener of this podcast, you know – you know, part of the inception of the show was to talk about Kozlov and the many rising young Americans back in 2017. And look, if you're a listener to this show, you heard me do at least one to seven segments on Kozlov's success here in 2021. He's your Australian Open uh, Wild Card Challenge winner. He wins three challenger titles down the home stretch, will be competing in his first slam main draw at the 2022 Australian Open. And look, back into the top 170 back you know where he belongs on his developmental curve and if you watched him play you saw the enthusiasm you saw the freedom you saw the progression in his game it's why we are thrilled to have him on the show today to talk about his run down the home stretch and throughout 2021, what that success means to him after the struggles of 2019, 2020, the perspective he now has on his career, the focus he now has as well on not only continuing to excel on the court but finding balance off the court as well. And then of course, look, we're going to geek out. You guys know whether it be 2012 Kozlov Jr. results, 2013 Kalamazoo, 2015 Kalamazoo, 2014. Kalamazoo, the Junior Slams. We cover all of it on today's show. We get into the weeds. We nerd out. This is I say every episode is my favorite episode. This may be my favorite episode today. I know you listeners are going to enjoy today's show. And obviously, quickly, before we get there, have to give a huge shout-out to all of you, to our Crack Rackets Patreon family, without whom this would not be possible. Also, shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point. Best equipment, best prices, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Obviously, I would regale you with the normal details, but... I've given you a long enough intro, so let's get to today's show. We are joined by Australian Open wildcard challenge winner, Stefan Kozlov.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com.
0: Joining us on the podcast today for the first time, a guest, I won't lie, I have been chasing probably since the inception of this podcast, of course listeners now know him best, as the 2022 Australian Open Wild Card Challenge winner, I know him as Stefan Koslov. Stefan, welcome to the podcast, how are you doing today my friend?
1: Good Alex, thanks for having me, I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure to have you. And believe me, if it, if I had my way, we would start with like 2013 Kalamazoo and talk about your six love, six love win over Tyler Liu, which to this day is the single best match I have seen any individual play. And I'll get to that story in a little bit. But we have to start with the Australian Open wildcard. And obviously, what I allude to there, you are someone who has had so much success, really, since you picked up a tennis racket for the first time. With all of that said, 2022 first Grand Slam main draw appearance for you. What does that mean to you? How are you feeling after just an incredible run to end this season?
1: Oh, it's been—it was a magical couple weeks. Uh, Like you said, I—you know—I—I went into Columbus and Vegas, just kind of trying to go one match at a time, and then obviously uh, after when I, you know. once Charlottesville started picking up, I started to read a little bit more about the Australian Open Wildcard Challenge because I, originally I, I had no idea that they were going to have it. Because, you know, sometimes for the most part, usually they have it, but with COVID and everything, I, I just wasn't sure uh, if they were going to have it. And, um, and you know, just it was just a special couple weeks for me. I just I, I, I enjoyed my time on the court so much. I kind of was just truly being myself. Uh, just really, uh, you know, had my dad come in for a couple of the matches. Had my mom come in for the last, uh, for the for the clinching match, just to really uh, give give myself the best opportunity from a from a mental aspect. And um, I'm just so excited. My my life's kind of changed here in the last couple months. Um, and um, this is what I, you know, this is where I feel like I belong. And, and this is why I work. And um, I'm just super thrilled to to play in the Australian Open with the way I earned the wild card for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: And that joy you talk about, it was so evident in watching you play, and I won't lie, I watched a lot of it. And with that <laughs> in mind, I want to go all the way back to Columbus, a place where you have had success in the past, a place where you have hoisted a challenger title before I know, obviously, again, it's a completely different year here in 2021. Yep. But for me, one of the things that stood out first was that joy and the freedom you were playing with. You got back to playing Cosbol, which I say, you know, people are enthralled with Daniil Medvedev. I'm like, boy, I've got some 2012 Kozlov footage that would blow your freaking mind. Um, yeah. But, you know, did, did you feel that freedom? Was that the biggest difference? It just felt like for the first time in so long, you weren't forcing anything.
1: 100%. 100%. I, I think that's a big part of, 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 the, of the results recently and, and just just this whole COVID break and even, you know, before, you know, my, my ranking was just not in a good place. I wasn't winning many matches. So I just really, uh, you know, I went through some some tough, you know, times as well and, and I just really understood that there's a lot more to this and, and obviously as you get older, you start to put things into perspective better and uh, I just started to enjoy myself on the court more and just try to be myself. That was, you know, that's kind of, tennis you know my life's been tennis it's it's a really complicated story just you know with my dad kind of you know forcing it up on me you know and just training and and obviously once I started you know to understand it a little bit more I I enjoyed it too but uh but you know I wouldn't you know it was a tough you know it's it's not easy just when your whole life revolves around tennis and just all the pressure that comes along with it and um and you know I'm happy that I I had that break and and I had you know some time to really figure things out on my own and um, and, and this time around just I, I just I enjoyed every moment of it and I, I really felt like I was just being myself and and uh, I'm just I'm so excited where things are headed. I'm, I'm so excited for this opportunity. it's such a such a cool um, story that I'm living you know my personal story I just I love it. Is it a coincidence that your winning
0: coincided with a dolphins five game win streak? That feels like it's not a coincidence that feels like it was
1: well planned. Yeah, that was perfectly planned. I mean, God, those guys are playing. Those guys are playing some good football, huh?
0: Oh, I'm still in on Tua. I I <laughs> forgot to put Kyler back in this week, but he delivered me a fantasy victory, so I'll always take that. But you know, again, talking about your commitment to the sport, I want to go back even before Columbus and just you know the fact that. You were able to play matches pretty consistently from, you know, the, the end of May all the way through the end of the season. And if you look back, it's really what end of 2018, start of 2019 was the last time you were able to do that. And as such, if you don't mind me saying, I know we've yeah. only known each other now for about 20 minutes, but um, you look thin. <laughs> like you just look fit. And I'm curious yeah. how getting to play, you know, five months consecutively for the first time in a while, how that helps as well.
1: Yeah no that's a big that's a big part as well just you know being able to play you know points how I want to and uh, I don't know just kind of naturally happened I I play a lot of sports and uh, play a lot of basketball like pickup basketball where I just really uh, that's actually where I kind of gained my sense of of love for sports again you know just playing different sports going out there playing some pickup ball uh, going back playing some tennis and baseline games just trying to really enjoy it while constantly working and trying to get better you know my my mindset kind of shifted and 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 like you said you know obviously with the amount of matches that i played recently i've i've just been on court a lot and and working my fitness and and just trying to you know constantly you know i mean you you see the top players i mean it's just it's it's such a you know people they 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 watch you know top 20 tennis and they think these guys just rip the ball and hit winners all the time but if you really kind of dissect it i mean especially guy like Novak and Nadal they're just it's just physical they're they're just trying to take your legs take your soul and and uh, I, I just find that so fascinating because, you know, we have the ability to, you know, rocket serve, serve in volley and, and um, come in and play aggressive. But it just seems like the game has changed. I mean, you see Medvedev like, you know, 15 feet behind the baseline and turning and, and just trying to get the point started. So it's, 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 it's crucial to, uh, to be very fit, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm curious because you talk about that spark for tennis and obviously part of the spark of being a professional is knowing the work that has to come in off the court and you've talked about it. And again, if you don't mind me going a bit sure. deeper here, you've dealt with injuries, a lot of them, very nagging, and I can only imagine the setbacks you've had to deal with personally. Did you find the motivation over the past you know, 12 months, whatever it may be, to rededicate yourself and what did that process look like given – again, you've already talked here openly – it's a mental drain. How did you yeah. keep yourself motivated to where the results weren't coming? Okay, now they have.
1: Well, I, I actually stopped playing for a while. Sure. Uh, I, I, I'm, just, I'm really bad with time and like dates, and but, <laughs> uh, but I know that like it's, it's crazy. I'm terrible with that. But yeah. but I, I stopped playing. I, I, I just I didn't play for about six months where I didn't really touch a tennis racket, mm-hmm. and I just needed a break. Um, just because I was starting to kind of, you know uh gain you know um what's the word just trying to gain awareness for my life and how i want to live and what i want to do and so i just took it took took some time when things were really not going well and i just uh it actually was so beneficial for me just to you know take that time and understand how how i want to live my life what do i want to do and and then obviously COVID came and it just it was such a uh such a weird time it still is obviously but but then when I was able to get back and play all these all these matches and tournaments I just I felt so different and, and just the excitement was there and um, just trying to fulfill my destiny and I, that, that's kind of what I've been telling you know people close to me it's just like you know who knows where where I'll go with this sport or and but but I just feel like I have this unique ability and and I just owe it to myself to to give it everything I have and I'm happy that I'm that I'm able to uh, you know be aware that at, at a young age.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a fantastic thing to hear. And I'm curious for you, all that time away, something I know you have struggled with throughout the course of your career is your serve. If you don't mind me saying, I like to think I am the principal scholar in the Kozlov School of Study. The serve was the difference, right? It was the serve. It was the plus one forehand. It was just how easy you were making points for yourselves. And, you know, early on, when you think back 2014 Sacramento Challenger final and, you know, all of, you know, first guy born 1998 to make an ATP quarterfinal, it wasn't because you were winning things easily. It's because you were finding solutions on the court. What where did you find the solution on the serve on the forehand? Did you feel that as well? Or am I, you know, being crazy here?
1: No 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 you're definitely you're definitely spot on uh I think the serve and forehand were you know two things that I needed to um you know make more efficient efficient and uh and the serve started coming along uh and you know the thing about tennis is like you know I'm sure you know it just sometimes it feels amazing sometimes it doesn't and and you just got to constantly try to figure it out and uh I got some help on the serve uh whether it was my dad, I had Jeff Salzenstein help me a little bit, just technically, um, and and forehand kind of came along on my own, just trying to constantly just get better and figure out, you know, look, what are the what are the top guys doing? What's the most effective way to hit it? And and I just honestly just I stopped kind of thinking about it and, and really just tried to focus on mindset. My mindset was was really what I was focused on these last couple of tournaments and just really trying to uh you know get out of my own head and and just really execute and and just be a dog out there you know just really fight for every point and just be a dog that was kind of my my emphasis and uh and if something wasn't feeling you know the way it can you know that that's okay you know i still got to fight i got a guy that's trying to you know come after me so
0: yeah no and that's fascinating to hear because again if you don't mind me saying early in the career were you a tinkerer were you someone who was always thinking like i feel like i've seen you hit 17 different serves and 25 different forehands is simplifying things sometimes the solution
1: absolutely absolutely i think when i was younger i had a tendency to always try to make something feel a certain way or um try to you know adjust my technique but in reality you know you're you're really not changing much it's just how it feels and and, and no, you're absolutely right. You know, when I was younger, I had that, I think we all do, and we just have that tendency to try to make, uh, you know, technical adjustments when when in reality, like, you're not going to really change much from, you know, the warm-up to the match. you got to go out and, 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 and really attack.
0: Yeah, oh, and again, we saw you attack throughout the course of this season and you know have to ask about the rivalry with JJ wolf and you know it's one thing to play a guy a bunch of times throughout the course of several years you think back to your rivalry with Francis tiafo and the junior and it's and it felt like you guys were always seeing each other towards the end at the big events but You know, I think you see J.J., what, four times in, you know, five or six different events played. And you guys are playing in semifinals. You guys are playing in finals as well. And, look, he's another 1998 American uh, who respectfully took him a little longer than you to experience success. And I'm curious for you what it was like to, again, be facing him at that stage. And, you know, look, he hits a pro serve. He hits a pro forehand. What were the adjustments you made in your three victories? It felt like, again, it was the serve, the forehand just— playing top 100 tennis
1: yeah yeah no I, I love JJ I think he's got a great game uh I love his personality it's just he's such a you know cool character and uh ah. I, I definitely wish him the best um but you know we had we definitely battled it's it's funny how when you win a lot of matches and you play the same schedule you start playing guys mm-hmm. over and over with Wolf um mm-hmm. you be right you know the way he can you know pop his serve and hit a forehand sometimes you you know you you're just left kind of guessing but I, I really ah. was able to lock in mentally and and just really come bring it to him in the last couple of matches where in Vegas, I was kind of uh, just kind of waiting to see what would happen wow. and, uh, and giving him opportunity. And, 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 you know, how tennis is, you know, once you're ahead in the score and a guy like that, especially he could start swinging freely. And um, but, but really it just came down to just, you know, problem solving, being just mentally uh, fully just all out war, you know, that's kind of how I looked at the match at Charlottesville. I was like, you know, I'm going to leave it all out here. And, and um and then, obviously, in Champagne, the same thing. You know, we're battling for high stakes, wild card on the line, lots of pressure. Uh, playing him indoors is probably the last place I want to play him, and uh, understanding that, and just kind of trying to problem solve constantly. And and, and I and I battled and uh, got fortunate in, in certain you know certain points, and uh, that's just how it goes sometimes, you know. So, but uh, yeah,
0: yeah, if you. You don't have to, you know, you had to play one of them first round. Wolf, Vukic, who are you picking? Have you seen enough of both of them? You're like, I don't need to play those guys anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys are, are both tough. They're so uniquely different. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I probably, you know, I, I don't have an answer. They're, they're both good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. I, well, yeah, I don't wanna, it was
0: so yeah. interesting in that champagne match. It just felt like, and again, this is getting back to what I said earlier, of you playing cosball again, it felt like you had solved the riddle. A little bit. It just felt like, A, you weren't afraid of the J.J. forehand watching that match. And obviously the only time he serves you, is uh, breaks you, is I think when you're up 5-2 in the second set serving for the match for the first time. And just, you know, for that, that's a testament to the serve, the forehand. I'm curious because obviously you're a guy who's played the North American Challenger grind multiple stages. You've seen, you know, the King Kudla generation. You've seen uh, the Kruger-Rubin-Fritangelo generation does it get difficult facing those same guys week after week after week or does it build a bond between you guys and you know when you're going champagne charlottesville vegas all these different cities and that's the only group of people you're seeing
1: yeah you know that's a good question uh for for me personally it's just always been about just trying to get myself to the next level and just always uh constantly just trying to you know you'd be surprised how many times different players come in actually from foreign countries and you you get to play them but you know I respect all those guys totally and we, we've we all been around for so long we you know we say our hellos and stuff but but recently I've just tried to kept I've been trying to keep my distance and just try to really understand that you know these guys are are in my way of 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 where I want to go and and that's more important to me mm-hmm. right now than than anything like that so I, I say that respectfully and I I've mentioned that in an interview with Mike before it's just you know I mm-hmm. I'm not there to you know build friendships and stuff like that so i'm just doing whatever i can to win and respectfully um just trying to be the best i can out there
0: yeah i'm gonna quack out that name you just mentioned because no competitors here on this podcast um no it was it was great (laughs) to listen to you talk to mike as well and obviously i know the connection you've built with him throughout the course of your time and you know again with with all of this said you now face an offseason, and we'll get back to the past in a little bit, but I'm curious for you. You now know, hey, I'm starting my season in Australia. And, yep. you know, I'm curious given all of the turmoil you faced 2019 offseason, 2020 offseason, this season, there's a bit more clear of a plan, right? And I'm curious, yeah. how does that impact? You know, I know you said before we started you're taking a week off or so now, but yeah. how does that impact the offseason? What does it look like for you?
1: Well, it's it's been such a it's been such a nice change to know that I'm you know I'm going to be playing with the big boys. I'm going to be in Australia in January. Uh, it's it's given me so much confidence and uh, given me a clear plan on you know what I need to get better on. It's it's just been a really cool experience. These you know winning the wild card, winning those challengers, getting my ranking to where it is, and um, and and knowing that look I'm starting in Australia. I'll have some tournaments before Australian Open to really get ready and and to keep working on my game because. You know, you forget. You know, even a month off from tournaments, you got to start getting back into rhythm. So uh, it's definitely been such a boost of confidence to to know that you know in you know in in mid to late January I'm going to be playing uh, in the, at the Australian Open. So I'm just I'm just trying to work on my game, just trying to really get better at and and, and understand what's going to help me win matches at that level. You know, because that that's ultimately uh, my goal is to have a breakthrough. Um, you know, that's that's why I'm working my tail off.
0: Yeah, no, can I just say, it is so yeah. strange to still see you with a Babolat racket. Like, I just have <laughs> not grown accustomed to it, and that's a fan thing, I know. But <laughs> it does, It just again, you talk about the off-season, things like that. We just talked about keeping things simple, and I'm curious for you, is that the game plan here this off-season as well? You talk about focusing on your game. Are there aspects of your game you would like to build on in particular?
1: Yeah, just like you said, keeping it simple. Uh, Physicality has been a huge thing for me, um, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, trying to open up the court more you know you watch top players their balls are either they they know what they're doing with each ball sometimes it's going off the sideline. sometimes it's coming flat through the middle just kind of gaining awareness of each shot and getting repetition and and obviously the serve just getting a higher percentage getting more power you know it's it's simple stuff that we all kind of work on and and try to get better at you know just maximizing our our own abilities so
0: yeah of course and yeah. I I I hate to ask it like this because I know you get this question a million times, and I'm, I know how annoying it must be. And I can see a smirk on your face coming that I think you know what's coming. But obviously, you look at the 2021 season, great year for Fritz, great year for Paul, great year for Opelka, great year for Tiafo, Korda, Nakashima, Brooksby, yeah. Kozlov, you name it. It was just a really good year for American men's tennis. Do you feel that success? And I'm curious what that does for your motivation as you look at this offseason. I mean, you just played six months consecutively. There's a very good case to make. Well, you know, take two weeks off because you've earned it. Does sure. does that success keep pushing you?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and not just those American guys, just all the guys that are doing well. It's, um, it's definitely motivating. And I, and I give those guys credit for, for their success. And, um, you know, obviously they're, they're doing a hell of a job of, of earning it. And, uh, you know, I love Cordis game. I think he's God, He's, he's a, I think he's a great ball striker. Um, and, and obviously all, all the guys, you know, Francis, I, I love Francis and the way he's been able to mentally, uh, overcome things and, and, you know, reach new, you know, heights, whether it's at the U S open, you know, beating a, a top five player, um, on Arthur Ash is incredible. Uh, Geneva, he just did super well. So he, he's, you know, those guys are definitely, uh, giving us all motivation and, um, and I, I'm just excited to, to work my tail off, to, to compete against those guys and, and, you know, be across the court from them. Will you train it all in Orlando? Uh, probably not, probably not just because I, I don't have much time. Sure. Um, and I'll just trying to keep it the same as, as I've been this last couple of months, just, you know, trying to, you know, just, just keep it the same. No need for me to, you know, there's obviously great coaches up there and and the USTA reached out to me to to try to, you know, to offers for me to come. And I'm super appreciative of that. And it's just from a timing standpoint, it just doesn't make sense. I need to leave on the on the 27th of December. So, um, so yeah. I'll just be here. Yeah, yeah crazy. He's
0: getting down there early. Yeah, that's I yeah. mean, you have to right with all yeah. the two weeks and the everything. And so, you know, totally. I, I am curious, and this is how we'll look big picture here. And I'll, I want to frame it like this, and again, I appreciate all of your candidness. I have said it before. If you're going to swear at me, it might happen now. So this is where we'll quack it out with the sound effect, don't worry. But <laughs> again, your entire life, you and Francis, feels like – I don't know if you watched the show The Last Kingdom, but it feels like you two are bonded. It's just like um, that, you know, yeah. that story from the past. If you followed American tennis closely, you had that. And just – you know, again, since 12 years old, you have had unreasonable expectations on you did you feel that early in your career and do you think those expectations are what ultimately led to you saying you know what i need six months to find myself to take some time
1: away from tennis i do i do i think i think that we all handle them differently uh Mm -hmm. obviously we're all wired completely different and and uh it's same in every sports you know you got guys you know battling that that sometimes make it sometimes don't so um, I, I do think that i just had an unhealthy balance of, of how i handled and looked at those things and and just needed some time to really have a healthier view and 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 understand that you know it's not the end of the world and it's it's just you know it's just a you know it's it's not a huge deal you know that i'm not doing well right now i got plenty of time obviously guys are playing in, in their 30s now and uh, the times are changing so so, yeah, like you said, that's kind of been my biggest motivation is, is seeing Francis, seeing Zverev, seeing those guys that I grew up with. And in my head, I see uh, Rublev, you know, from when we were you know 15 years old and not to – just I have a different view on these guys and, and that's why I just – I feel like I should be competing with them and 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 that's kind of – it would be pretty cool to, you know, when I get back there and just play with these guys again.
0: Yeah, everyone knows the transitive property is a thing for all tennis fans. You don't have to do it. I do it for you. Mm-hmm. Anytime CT Pas wins, I'm like, well, you know, Steph beat him in the Orange Bowl final. So, like, exactly. this is a win for all of us. Um, <laughs> and so, no, but I know how competitive you were, you know, back, you know, since, again, eight, nine years old, whether it's, you know, the, <laughs> the post Facebook message exchanges with Luca Corintelli following, you know, some brutal victories. And, oh, I've seen yeah. him, Steph. I- I've oh, seen wow. the DMs. Yeah, or, or just that you know again that's funny yeah I, that's I was a say, long time ago yeah. so
1: do you remember that beef I, I think I do I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we. I messaged him after a match or something yeah yeah. I was so, so young. So, yeah, it must have been exactly. a
0: long time ago. No, all of these things. And, you know, again, I know there was a bored accent to the line judges for a phase there as well. And just those are the things you do, right? Because I do feel like life on the junior tour can drive you insane. And I'm just curious, again, when you look back at that time, uh, you know, what are the things you take away from that experience? What are the things that going through lumps like that or just all the different things help shape who you are today?
1: yeah just just kind of understanding and having a good perspective from you know the times that were not so good and just trying to learn from them and uh that's that's kind of been the biggest learning lesson for me you know i don't want to get too deep into that but just sure. just super motivated to um, to i'm super motivated for the opportunity to have a you know chance to you know whether win a couple of matches at the australian open and and just keep building my ranking and and you know how that goes once you you know mm-hmm. success is contagious and and once you start winning some matches you you start feeling better, and uh, you never know. So I'm excited. Yeah,
0: Absolutely, and when you look back at some of those things, obviously you've got a best-of-five match coming up at the Australian Open. I will continue to say the best match in the history of Kalamazoo, and I have conferred with the historians that be. Is your 2015 final against Francis Tiafo? And obviously, it's a five-set match. And for those listeners that don't know how that final went, you obviously dropped the first two sets of that match, take sets three and four before, you know, decided 6-4 in the fifth. And I think people who follow that match will never forget it because, again, fifth set Kalamazoo final. That never happens. That was the culmination, whether it was, you know, again, the big summers from, from Taylor, Tommy, and Riley, whether it was your success, Junior Australian Open, Junior Wimbledon, Noah's success the year prior as well. And I don't want to forget Michael Moe and yeah. Ernesto Escobedo, all of the guys in that mix as well. That said, I imagine that match, it's got to be a top three for you, right? Like, it's got to be an all timer because Kalamazoo does show up. You get a nice crowd there.
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely a top three for me playing against, mm-hmm. you know, Francis, like you said, we've played so many times and, and uh, the fact that it went five sets and it was such an epic match. Yeah, I just, yeah, it's almost, I almost can't, you know, can't believe that, that, you know, happened, you know, we just, I lost the first two sets and then came back just firing the third and fourth. And then I, I believe I went up a break in the fifth. I'm not hundred yeah. percent sure, but, um, but yeah, he just, he got tough as nails at the end and we battled just. Uh, such a tough it was that was probably the toughest loss of my life for sure for Mm -hmm. sure the toughest loss of my life on a tennis court just uh, I remember the emotions I was feeling because obviously with the US Open wild card it's every you know every kid's dream to be playing in a Grand Slam and um, especially after going up a break in the fifth I I could really feel it and and we we had some crazy uh, points and and credit to him for just stepping up and uh, you know I was super I was super excited for him as well to get that opportunity.
0: If you could play replay any match in your career. Do you think that's the one?
1: That's a great question. Um, <laughs> that's a great. I, I, I can give is. you the list. Of, I do. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say I, I've got some yeah. nominees. I mean, the Orange Bowl final, pretty good, but that's best of three. Gita yeah, Wimbledon no.
1: final, and, I, and the fact that and the fact that I won the Orange Bowl the following year. Yeah, definitely, def, def, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely the Kalamazoo one. Yeah, Kalamazoo, I, Kalamazoo or Wimbledon. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and I am yeah. curious
0: in that era because obviously those guys caught up to you, but I think initially the peer group I held you with was Noah Rubin and Bjorn Fratangelo and Mitchell Krueger, who are all older than you. But, you know, those were the guys right away you were competing with, you know, right in your junior ranks. And I'm curious, and I know we've alluded to this before, but did you put extra pressure on yourself early on when you see those guys who are, you know, 18, 19, even into their 20s, and you're still 15, but you think you should be doing what they're doing?
1: Um, not necessarily. I think it was just a cool – it was so cool that I was competing with the much older guys It just – from a young age my dad always had me playing up and and obviously i started to do well so it made sense to just keep kind of moving up and and yeah i remember traveling to junior slams with those guys when i was 13. i it's still 13 right the earliest you can play uh you know juniors i believe so um so i remember going to slams and and europe trips with those guys and it was just it was so unique obviously i'm i'm almost you know four years younger than those guys and it's just uh it's definitely a (laughs) An interesting um, you know time but but yeah that, that's kind of where my level was at that's where my dad wanted me playing that's where the USTA thought I should be playing just continued to grow my game and and I and I had success you know even at 13 14 I was I was doing uh, really well in the juniors so it just it's looking back it's it's just unbelievable that I was you know I, I credit my dad I credit the people around me just to take a young kid with potential and, and really you know put him in that uh, environment so
0: sure would you say your run with Noah to the kzu title most unlikely title run you've had because on paper that is not your traditional doubles team
1: you, you know I, I wouldn't say it was that unlikely I, I think Noah's a great doubles player I, you know I know he doesn't uh maybe feel the same way but we almost won our first round at the open too I, I think we're a great team we just we we return well he serves well I, my serves you know pretty getting there uh I, you know, it's, it's really the net play that we, we, we kind of have to avoid, (laughs) but, (laughs) um, but yeah, I mean, we, I don't remember who we played. We played wild cards. I'm pretty sure we almost won our first round at the open again, one Kalamazoo. So, uh, he's, he's a good friend of mine. I truly, you know, I care about him deeply and, um, and just, I'm happy that we got to, uh, Noah and I were, were completely best friends growing up. Yeah. Uh, completely best friends traveling, just, um, you know, so young, we're both so young, traveling the world, playing tennis, just, it's a, it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard, you grow up quickly, and, uh, you know, I appreciate it. Our no, team. and
0: uh, I apologize for keeping the hit, you know, rock and roll's greatest hits here, but how difficult then does that Wimbledon final be just to play, knowing the relationship between the yeah. two of you? It felt like beforehand, it's like, look, We're gonna go three sets, and then we'll play the third set for real. All right, does that work? Yeah, because the queen might be there. Like that's what I would do. Uh, But you know, when you look back at that match, what is that final like?
1: And like you said, it's so funny how those matches play out. It's like, especially when you're young and juniors, for whatever reason, you're always in a third set, and uh, I'm always in a third set for whatever reason too. So um, it was it was awesome. I I I remember I don't remember who we played in the semis, but I was like, I remember we were talking like, dude, it would be. It'd be pretty darn cool um, to play in the finals of junior Wimbledon and, and um, you know, have that opportunity to win a title. And playing on court one with, like, I would say maybe, you know, 60%, 70% capacity was, was nuts. You know, what an experience that was. And i um, pretty sure he won the first set, I won the second set, and uh, he got me in the third, obviously. so But it was, it was awesome. I look back with no regrets. Just, you know, just super cool times. And I'm very, you know, I feel blessed that I was able to to live those times
0: yeah no absolutely and it was so fun for us to experience as well and then you know again obviously you get into the pro career and I'm curious for you did you ever consider college tennis or was it always going to be straight to the pros and as you look back what are your thoughts on I I always think it's interesting to ask people who skip college what are your thoughts on college tennis I know your brother obviously has played it as well I'm curious what, what you've heard from him and what you think
1: I, I think it just depends on where you are. You know where you are with your game, where you are in your life. Um, I think college tennis is great. I mean, it's such a, it's such a great opportunity if you can find the right system to to improve your game. If you want to, if you don't, you know, you have plenty of other opportunities. I I, I think that everybody sh- you know should go to college unless you're absolutely uh, just tearing it up on a you know just you know like I, I feel like where I was with my junior career and, and even after the finals of the Challenger that that was a huge step where i you know i felt like and another thing is is you know my parents kept telling me that you know look all the top guys they didn't go to college and that that was that was tough to hear obviously as a you know mm-hmm. you, you really you had to listen to that advice and and tennis is such a unique sport where you know you you, you if you look at the top hundred i mean I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this stat you know most guys didn't go to college mm-hmm. so uh i feel like if that was a little bit more balanced maybe you know i would have definitely gone for a couple of years so but but my stance is, is you should definitely go uh, experience it, um, have options, um, uh, unless you're really just kind of killing it, you know.
0: Yeah, I feel like you would have gone to Virginia. Just in that era, that time, I feel like you would have just slid right into that lineup.
1: <laughs> I, I wanted to go to USC, actually. But really? I never really considered it any, at all. Yeah, Just because P- Peter Smith, I, I don't know, I thought he was a good coach. But I, I really considered it yeah. very little, like. Yeah,
0: I turned pro when I was like 15, I think, oh, 16. You don't have to remind. Right. Come on, to, again, yeah. school of church. This is me. And, yeah. and as you, exactly. know, you uh, tell me, yeah, you tell exactly. Me. It was actually on April 12th. Um, no, but you know, with <laughs> with, with with all of that said, uh, you know, again, you're 115 in the world. Uh, by the time you're, you're 19 years old and yeah. you're having success, but as you've alluded to, you're on the road and you're by yourself. And I, I'm just curious for you. What were the pros and cons at that stage? Because you are having success, right? You're earning the right to go to Europe, to go play slam, qualifying, do all these different things. Yeah. How difficult yeah. is that though, being away from home and doing all those things at such a young age?
1: I think I think balance is just super you know important. Sure. Um, you know, obviously when I was I was playing tournaments every week, traveling the world, but but it didn't feel like that. You know, I didn't it didn't feel like that. I had just got a girlfriend um, I was starting to get some success with you know financial you know independence mm-hmm. uh, I got a Porsche I, you know, I had a girlfriend and, and just the idea of traveling to the Australian Open at that time just where I was in my life it just it, it just didn't sound good and uh, I kind of forced it a little bit and obviously I have to you know you have a, you have a coach you have a team you have you can't just you know stay home and, and so so I definitely struggled with that and, and that killed some of my momentum for sure uh, had some injuries mm-hmm. um, so you know, I think a huge thing about sport is momentum and and just mindset and and my mindset at that time was just in a different place. I was you know for the first time I was you know I got financial dependence from from everyone. I could I could literally just do what I wanted to. Uh, like I said, I got a girlfriend. It just just things in my life were were just not as uh, ideal for a you know for a pro. And I'm so young, you know, it's it's hard. It's 18, 19. It's just different. So uh, that's the best way I can put it. Really, you know, obviously um you know we could say injuries and stuff like that that was part of it but but i think just i was in a i was just in a bad you know headspace for uh for professional tennis
0: yeah and that's why it's so encouraging if again don't mind me saying to see the enthusiasm you played with over this past month and again i alluded to this earlier but you just mentioned it and it's not to say it was just the health issues but certainly the health issues didn't help and i'm, yeah. I'm curious now again at this stage in, You know, you're still twenty three years old and you know, I think you'd bet on the recovery rate of anyone under the age of twenty five, always. And I'm curious now, again, what were the health struggles? Do you think it was overuse? Do you think it was burnout just due to the amount of stress you put on your body at such a young age? And are you
1: healthy now? I do, I do. Yeah. I, I think yeah, I had a I had a back fracture that that sure. got me out for about six months. I had an elbow fracture, uh, just small little fractures like that. I don't know. They're just, I guess, they just happen, but they seem to, you know, stem from overuse and, um, and you know, you need to properly rehab those things and, and you got to take them seriously. And uh, but th- thankfully, I've been feeling super healthy on the court with injuries and taking care of my body, uh, understanding you know what works for me and how to keep myself healthy. And and uh, and you know, it's not to say that. You know injuries happen but i'm just trying to do my best and playing my part and preventing them and uh, staying in the gym and doing the right exercises finding the right people to take care of my body so uh you know that's kind of where i'm at right now
0: how's the diet aspect because again i hear back to the days and i know snacks were rare to come by but you were king of the xbox circuit when playing for snacks back in the day sure, and i'm, sure. I'm curious uh, <laughs> you know has the diet changed at all is that part of the professionalism what does that look like
1: yeah, no, of course, uh, you know, of course, playing at a high level, playing long matches and uh, being a pro athlete, you got to eat clean. You got to be, you know, smart. And uh, I think balance is important. Again, just trying to be smart. You know, I, I have to, uh, I think we all do. We all, as players, we have to take responsibility. And I, I know, you know, sometimes maybe we'll uh, step away from that for a second. But just, you know, as I get ready for these big tournaments and in and, and general, just being, being disciplined and consistent with with my training my nutrition and uh my hydration just all of it you know it's such a it's all it all comes together at the end of the day sleep
0: mm-hmm. who were yeah. the who's competing with you by the way in those dorms xbox snack games who are you beating for the title what oh, what are boy. the snacks at those times
1: Man, it's such a crazy time uh in my you know such a crazy time we all lived in at the usta dorms and yeah. uh i know they don't do that anymore but we you know there was a bunch of us that just lived there and trained tennis you know school at night just uh wow just such a such an experience to, to put it lightly uh who did I compete with just all the boys you know all the boys that live there uh, Michael Mo and I competed a lot Halebi and uh yeah. Porn Telly, you know all those guys we all competed we all just uh, played a bunch of video games at night just uh when I hear time.
0: stories about the Everett cafeteria not great is the word no. on the street no no tough
1: yeah. tough tough times for sure Tough, tough food not great but it is what it is. And we had some great coaches there, some great fitness coaches. It, it, I think it, was, it, has, it has its pros and cons, obviously, just like anything else. And uh, I, I definitely got a lot better while I was there and, and enjoyed uh, spending time with the guys, but, but definitely mm-hmm. being away from home and, and just that, that balance that we didn't get, right? Just having food at the every cafeteria, going to school at night, just the balance wasn't really ideal. Sure.
0: No. And again, I have a stupid theory, but just being in the circles that I'm in. Tennis players are underrated eaters. Like I – that's always been my – I feel like, again, when a tennis player pulls that pin and they're going off, we're talking four desserts, like minimum. And that's after the sure. three appetizers and the two entrees. And so, yeah, it's it's just so always interesting for me to hear about the restraint and just, again, the professionalism that goes into it off the court as well because you hear about it but you don't really know what that sacrifice looks like. Um, all of that said – I do want to geek out a little bit and talk about your game because, you know, because we haven't geeked out yet already. Just to clarify, (laughs) now we're really going to geek out. But, you know, watching you, feel has never been an issue for you. And I think, you know, you are probably the best junior I've ever seen at the drop shot lob. Like, just ever. You can put it in the rankings, number one. And, you know, that slice, that feel, you say you're not the best volleyer. I think you're a great singles volleyer. I think that's always been a part of your game. Sure. Did 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 that? That's the stuff you excel at. Did that stuff translate to the pros right away? Like did? And I'm curious if it didn't, how did you keep that balance in? Because that's who makes you you.
1: Yeah, that was that was part of the challenge for sure. I mean, you, you really don't see anybody drop shot. I mean, juniors, I got through some matches where I would literally just drop shot wherever I wanted to, and, and I would get I would literally win the point. Um, and then if someone got there, I'd lob them. But in the pros obviously that doesn't work uh you have to use it you know sometimes uh just to keep guys honest and and try different things but but it definitely just didn't transition as, as much as i would have liked uh, just with I, I think the speeds kind of being a lot faster and and um you know, it's hard it's a lot harder guys are faster running to the net. guys know what to do more you know juniors sometimes you get a drop shot the guy has no idea where to put the ball so so that was that was definitely something that i had to uh you know cut back on and and find new ways of of winning. Mm -hmm. How do
0: you still, though—I mean, do you still—is that still a central part of your game? Like, do you feel the slice, uh, in particular, I know in that backhand wing, but— you know, you'll throw in a forehand slice when necessary. Yeah. I've seen it. Uh, do you sure. still feel – I mean, I don't want to say it's completely phased out of your game, but watching you, yeah. Las Vegas, in particular the indoor hardcore events, it did feel like you kind of, uh, particularly against JJ that you kind of abandoned sure. that, that it was more drive than slice. Am, am I on to something? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think those conditions, especially Vegas with the altitude, uh, the indoor courts, just the drop shot was, was really hard to pull off there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think on clay, you know, our grass, you'll see a lot more of me drop shotting, but, but just the indoor courts, it's, it's really challenging to drop shot and and win the points. So uh, I had to kind of just, you know, play with my instincts a lot. And I know I threw in threw in a couple, just like, you know, fake drop shot, deep slices that that's just all instincts and just trying to win and, 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 which which comes natural to me, you know. I don't I don't really think about that stuff, and uh, you know, people always tell me, you know, you have, you have the best hands and stuff, and I didn't I don't even know what that means until recently, just because it's so. Na- it's just it's just something that I guess my dad built into my game from a young age, and uh, it just always came natural for me. That's the best way I can put it. Everyone,
0: I don't know what the game's called because it's a different depending on the region where you start with the ball on the top of the net and it drops over. And sure. It's a little, yeah, you, I I can like just see nine year old you slaughtering people and just be yeah like, yeah just a little short yeah, angle. That's, that's my game.
1: Yeah, it's, that's my game. I don't it, I don't lose at that game very much. <laughs> yeah, I can see that yeah, perfectly. That but
0: you know, again, um, I'm curious also with the return of serve. I don't think that's something you've ever struggled with, particularly on the backhand wing. But yeah. did you? Uh, is that, a, is that a difficult transition? I'm looking at the numbers is the thing. And, sure. you know, for most of your challenger seasons, you're over 30%. You have an over 30% break percentage for your career. And just for the record, that number 30% would be a top 10 number amongst top 50 players if translated to the ATP tour. I don't think that I, – I, I guess it's really just on the forehand. Like, again, picking for nuanced weaknesses on the ATP tour is so difficult because you're all so good. Did you feel like people were targeting the forehand return?
1: uh possibly possibly uh, yeah i mean i'm sure you know you only got two sides to pick from and uh you know my backhand's pretty solid so it, yeah. I, it would make sense you know for people to try different things and try to figure out ways to win and uh so but but for me you know i'm just you know i'm not really thinking about that i'm just trying to play the game and uh execute my patterns and execute what makes sense for me to to win and um you know returning always come natural for me you know I, i've always like you said I've, I've always been able to get into service games and and being able to hold serve easier and and get into return games has really uh, made life a lot easier for me these last couple of weeks. And um, you know, I think every match, I would you know, I, I break at least once per se. You know, that's yeah. pretty um, you know, it's it's a pretty good thing to have in your back pocket. So and, and the serves come along great. So that that's why I was able to um, to you know win as as many matches as I did recently. So
0: yeah, and it, this is where I'll go full circle here. Watching the Tyler Lou match, this is going back 2013 And again. First round, that's the year Shropshire gets you that next round. But you beat him. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, but you beat him. Yeah, you beat him. Uh, you know, there is a verb going around that if you lost the first round, and you got shropshired. Like that was a thing for a hot sec. I don't think that was actually a thing, but it could have been. Um, but, you know, again, going back to that match, it did feel like you could break serve whenever you wanted. And again, that was my favorite match because it was 0-0, and Tyler, who goes on to play at Yale, was outstanding. And you were just kind of like, no, okay, but it's time to w- for me to win the point right now. And I'm just <laughs> like, again, I'm I'm curious, that sort of success, that confidence, how it, you know, that game stat, where it just, I guess the way I'm framing it here is, it felt like you didn't have many weaknesses. In the juniors, and I'm curious as you transition to pro tennis, is it more about minimizing weaknesses, maximizing strengths for you? I'm sure it's a balance of both, but how do you balance those two things?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting you know question for sure. I remember that match definitely. uh, It was just it was it's it's different at that time, you know, because you're not facing guys with who are acing you once a game or you know looking for that first ball twice a game. So I was kind of if you look back at that match. Every point was kind of playing out more or less the same way, yes. and I was just I was just so I was so advanced at the time, and and uh, I was playing obviously really well that match, and um, where now you know you got to pick and choose your moments a little bit more. You know when when you get a double fault on the 15-all point, you really got to lock in and try to you know ask some questions in that game, and uh, you know guys are obviously uh, it's a lot harder to to initiate every point you know so that that's kind of the biggest balance and obviously as the level gets higher it's going to be even harder and harder so picking and choosing the right moments and and once you get a break hold making sure that you're holding serve is going to be very important Mm
0: -hmm. it's very clear to me that you're very cerebral when it comes to the game of tennis are you someone who watches film are you someone who's going to break down your own tape or you know again is this from just decades of repetition
1: I think both. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't say I'm much of a film watcher, but, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the night before a match, I'll, I'll take a look at, try to find some weaknesses. If I don't know the guy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it helps me sometimes for sure, just to get visual and and understand how I'm winning points, what the guy's doing when he's winning points, just really understanding that and playing it in your head, I think helps a lot. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And, you know, again, last few questions here, as you look towards 2022, Australia is obviously where the start uh, of the season will be for you, but what does the you know? I don't know if they're playing the Noumea Challenger, and I don't know if you'd play that, <laughs> or if you know yeah. that that's right always in that smack dab there, or if sure. you're playing an ATP event, whatever it may be. But you know, given your ranking now, I think you're back up to 159 right now in the current rankings, and you know 120 in the points race, so you'll be right in that no man's land zone. What does that schedule look like for the start of you? And obviously you've been in this position before. Are there things you're going to do differently?
1: Yeah. So uh, with, with COVID and stuff, I think they're only doing challengers in Australia. Sure. So no, new, new May was a really nice stop, but I, I'm pretty sure they're not doing it this year. And, uh, but for me, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, since I've just played a bunch of challengers, I'm going to try to play the qualifying or uh, the qualifying of the two fifties. Um, so January 3rd, I'll play one then. And then the following week, I'll play a 250 as well, qualifying, just trying to uh, play at the higher level and, and 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 get better before the Australian Open as a, as a test, you know. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, obviously, I had the option to play a challenger the first week or play the tour event. Uh, that's just kind of what, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of what makes most sense, I think, right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, for you, do, are you thinking beyond that first month? Because obviously, again, rankings-wise you're right in that strike zone, you could go to South America and play the Red Clays and probably get into all of the main draws, or at least the qualifying draws there and give yourself a chance to qualify for main draws. Or you go play a hardcore, you know, indoor hardcore challenger events. Maybe go sniff around at Dallas as well, you know, events that surfaces suit you well, clearly.
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Is, is that something you're thinking that long term, or is it just, again, immediate focus is January?
1: I'm I'm just excited. I feel like sure. I'm going to have a I feel like I'm gonna have a lot of opportunity to play, uh, you know, the ATP schedules. Awesome. You know, there's uh, I'm definitely not going to go down to South America when I can play Delray or Dallas, you know, these two yeah. fifties here, uh, maybe snip a wild card, have an opportunity to play, you know, it's uh, those things, you know, it's when you win matches and, and you're doing well, it's it's it's, you know, you have an opportunity, you know that and it makes mm-hmm. sense, right? You um, so so we'll see what happens there, But I'm just really focused on the first week of Australia, just getting down there, getting myself ready, uh, working on my physicality and and even if it doesn't go well the first week or the second week, just just working on stuff constantly there just to really uh, get better. and and even if Australia doesn't happen, you know, I'll have more opportunity, just just more opportunity right after that. There's so many tournaments and and uh, hopefully, you know, by U.S. Open, I can just start directly kind of having these major opportunities. So,
0: yeah, you have, you have a team you're traveling with? Uh,
1: not really. Just kind of I've kind of been doing my own thing here with my dad and, and help from some uh, from a couple of people uh, a little bit. But I had Chris Wettingale uh, help, help me sure. in, in these challenges, indoor challenges, just as a, you know, as a, he's obviously very smart and uh, he's helped me a lot. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to come down to Australia with me.
0: All right, I'm available. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, there's <laughs> yeah, worse ways to go. It. But Chris Wettingale, yeah. you must have played him in like a 2011 LA Futures. Like for yes. sure, there was a match that's up funny. there back in the day. Um, that's funny. No, yeah, that's uh, that's awesome to hear. And, you know, again, uh, last question here for you. But as you look towards 2022, it really does sound like you're someone who's trying to live in the moment and trying to just enjoy each of these matches as they come. And that's very, very easy to say on a podcast obviously and it sounds yeah. like you've had college media training for whatever that's worth but <laughs> I- i'm curious again i'm not going to ask what are your goals for 2022 but is what is your focus for 2022 is really what i'm curious about
1: yeah just just kind of these like, like these last couple of months just keep improving on my mindset keep getting better uh keep winning these tight matches keep you know really just staying locked in on on you know, on the competition and, and getting through these tough matches. Cause you know, with that comes more opportunity, like I said, and, and playing in these big tournaments, it's going to be awesome for me to uh, go through these, these experiences at a high level. And, um, and I, I, it would be, it'd be, it'd be awesome just to, you know, have a, have a good breakthrough and, um, and, and just kind of get myself into that, you know, space ranking wise. So I can constantly have that opportunity. I it's different, for, you know, having a, yeah, yeah, It's go different, ahead. you know, having a wild card than, Than constantly having, you know, it's, it's completely different. And, um, that's why, that's why I want to really get my ranking up there.
0: No, I love it. Ideal Australian open first round opponent. The lowest ranked person possible. Is that the answer?
1: Oh, no, I I would say the highest probably, uh, (laughs) just to kind of, I think, I think we all, you know, I think we all as wild cards into a slam, you, you want to play a, a big name just to have that, you know, cool Uh experience and, and test your game out and see where you are. And uh, I think it's no different for me. Just, you know, uh, you know it would be, it'd be awesome.
0: Anyone but Francis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Francis. Yeah. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to take away from Francis. I want Francis to do well. That's uh, what I'm not, saying. Not, 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 I don't mean it in a way that I'm, I'm but just no moments. of course yeah, yeah, yeah. of course
0: yeah. yeah it's just like why beat him when i could beat someone who's not my close friend <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah i, I agree
1: uh, with you there yeah. um,
0: no and we've uh, seen that match in five sets i've already yeah. i know what that one looks like give me something totally. else yeah, <laughs> um, and, just, but... and
1: just he's like one of the only guys on tour that i, I would yeah i want mm-hmm. to do well so definitely yeah. would uh want to play anybody else
0: no i love it well yeah. with all of that said Really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. As I mentioned at the top, this is an interview. You could argue we started the podcast to scheme my way into this interview. And so uh, obviously I will continue to be a believer in your game. Really appreciate you taking the time. I will point out to you, uh, there's a a media group chat I'm in, and – I may have sent our exchange where I was like, "But 2011 YouTube highlights—that's the best." Yeah. Like, and that's why. And I may have sent that to them, and there was a unanimous thing of, "You're interviewing Kozlov. You're interviewing Kozlov. You're like, <laughs> oh, you lucky motherfucker." <laughs> and I was like, "I know, man. Like, oh, I really awesome. am. so uh, I sincerely I appreciate, appreciate you taking the time and know there are a lot of us believers in your game, and we look forward to seeing even more success in 2022."
1: It means a lot, man. I, I really appreciate all the support and energy that you've sent my way over these last couple of years, and uh you know everyone out there who's who's, you know supporting and i I truly appreciate it it's such a cool thing that i get to do and we all as tennis players so um i'm happy that uh we, we got to sit down
0: yeah absolutely good luck to you in australia travel safely we will chat more soon
1: thanks a lot bro appreciate it
0: Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with Stefan Kozlov. I cannot emphasize this enough. A huge, Thank you to him for taking the time to chat. Sincerely grateful for his candidness throughout the interviews as well. It's fascinating to hear his perspective on his career, what has already been such an interesting career. Still feels like there are so many chapters left to unfold. Obviously, we are wishing him success. Health in uh, 2022, excuse me. We look forward to seeing him continue to succeed both on and off the court. But as I mentioned at the top, This begins our off-season coverage. Have a fantastic slate of guests lined up across our various platforms as we try to set the entire scene for you listeners. Not just about the professional-level ATP WTA stuff. We'll talk challengers. We'll talk ITFs. We'll talk college. We'll talk juniors. We'll talk about it all over the next month as we do some reflecting, as we do some projecting moving forward as well. Of course, if you've missed any of the content, you can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com, Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of the coverage. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I am at Great Shot Potty. Shout out as always. To our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, free, uh, 15% off your order, free, two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Just go to tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. With all that said, for our fantastic guest, Stefan Kozlov, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. It's only a kick. <laughs> a jump. A block. <laughs> it's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle.